Literacy Project and the Inside Lens Network with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides and suspicious deaths. If you have a question or comment for today's guest, please call in at 646-478-0982. That's 646-478-0982. My name is Danny Griffin and my co-host Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com. Hi, Delilah. Good morning there, Denny. Um, I just want to take one second to plug our Inside Lens Network. We started this many, many years ago, back before podcasting was called podcasting. So that kind of gives you an idea of how long we've been around. And we've had the privilege of highlighting criminal cases We've brought experts on board who have taught us so much over the years, and we've made a lot of very, very good connections. So we have this show. We have Crime Wire. We have Shattered Lives. We also have other types of programming like Writer's Tips of the Trade and Imagine Publicity on Air, which is my show, and I uh, interview authors. So that's a lot of fun for me. But some of the podcasts are, like I said, we highlight criminal cases, and some of those are still open investigations. So just to let you know, we our intent is to allow families to come on, present their information, but we know a, we do not represent our guests. We don't claim to help solve their cases, nor do we wish to jeopardize any open investigations. So just like the cases we're presenting today, we have a family member, um, you know, that needs help. And hopefully there's a listener out there that can step up and bring that piece of the puzzle to give them the answers that they're looking for. Well, that's certainly certainly a goal of ours, that's for sure. Um, And today, uh, Mariah and Hank Pugh were the third and fourth of Donna Pugh's five kids, three years apart in age, but in every other way as close as could be. Then, just a few months before Mariah's 30th birthday, a tragedy blew the family apart. Mariah's live-in boyfriend called to say that Mariah was dead. Sometime overnight, she had stopped breathing. Toxicology reports later confirm Mariah died from a drug overdose. Was it suicide, accidental, or something else? Apparently, after Mariah's death, her brother Hank escaped his pain by turning to drugs himself. Then, on October 9, 2012, the day before what would have been his sister's 30th birthday, Donna saw her son alive for the last time. Two days later, he went missing. Friends Hank had been with claimed he wandered into the woods and never came back. His mother didn't believe it. After the official searches ended, Donna Few and some of her friends conducted their own search of the area. Donna came across Hank's body lying in the mud. The police declared the death to be an accident, but Donna doesn't buy it. She joins us today to discuss the deaths of both children. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, let's begin, if you would. Let's let's talk about Mariah, and can you tell us uh, about her and the circumstances surrounding her death? Well, thank you, Denny. Um, because Mariah and Hank died three and a half months apart, 
um, and I realized when I found Hank in the woods dead that he was murdered, and I also realized that Mariah had been murdered. But I, Mariah has not gotten much attention because I knew what I know what happened to Mariah. Hank knew what happened to Mariah, and of course, you think that it isn't going to take six years of investigating to get it to find closure. So Mariah's case has not gotten much attention because Hanks was so convoluted and he was, you know, it involved two counties. But anyway, I would like to to discuss um, what happened to Mariah in honor of her. Um, Mariah was, had just graduated from nursing school with honors less than a year before she died. And she, her her partner was um, very abusive. He was arrested four times in the past for assault on a female. One of those was assault by pointing a gun. Um, she had left him in 2009. Um, he had burned down that they had. Mariah had just bought a new um, pre-built house. It was brand new. It had a big insurance policy, and her second son was a year and a half old, little Jackson. And he left real early in the morning, and he there, he had installed a wood stove in the living room. And she and the two kids were asleep in the king-size bed together, and the babysitter was asleep in another room. And the the baby woke her up, and the house was blazing fire. When she ran out the sliding glass door, the house blew up. Well, um, we found out since that he was at work when she called, and of course we went there immediately. The family, her family members, and his his foreman on his job informed us since she's died that he was actually found him there still two hours later after he was called and told to come home. But anyway, if there was a big insurance policy or big enough for him to take about $30,000 and buy a sports car with. And then he bought this little half-priced mobile home to replace the one that burned down, and um, he had a wreck in this car. A car turned on top of him, and he became a paraplegic. He was with the girlfriend, and Mariah was at home, of course. So anyway, Mariah moved out because she was in nursing school, and um, her brother had a house that she moved into and went and finished school because he couldn't help her. He was in the hospital for months. He's lost the use of his legs. And um, so a couple years go by, and Mariah, he has been hospitalized again. This was just 2012. She died June 2012. About a month before, she took the kids and moved back in to help take care of him. Knowing, you know, she, she just gotten through nursing school, and the kids wanted to be around their dad, and she moved back in with him. But anyway, I don't think he was out of the hospital a week when she died. So after acquiring all the 
the in the report that was sent to the medical examiner by the sheriff's department, it says that um, she was she had. This is what he told the the police. He told the police that she had a history of drug abuse and that she had been had and been depressed and there were lots of recent stressors. She had been living with her ex. She apparently had been sick. He noted her lips had turned blue when sleeping. She refused medical care because of cost because of cost no insurance. He checked her pulse at 8.10 a.m., which was present. He checked on her again just after 11 a.m. and found no pulse. He attempted CPR and called EMS. EMS noted excessive vomiting. EMS worker commented about possible neck bruising when started evaluation. Miss. Mariah argued with her mother last evening and told her mother she would kill herself for her ex. No meds or drugs in the house. Okay. The bizarre thing is that he says he checked her pulse at 8 o'clock because he noticed her lips were blue, and then he went back to sleep, and at 11 a.m. he woke up and found no pulse. But then if you go to the EMS report, he didn't even call EMS till 11.54. And their report says, um, uh, we, we, we're en route. The boyfriend was attempting CPR. On arrival, found female, pulseless. Monitors showed pupils fixed and dilated. Patient had vomited. Patient had food and in her mouth, looked at her bed, and there was vomit and blood, no injuries or wounds. Boyfriend stated that he last saw her alive at 8 a.m. He stated he went to sleep and he woke up. She was not breathing and had no pulse. She was in a bed next to him when first arrivers arrived on the scene and moved her into the bed, into the living room, and started CPR. Okay. Then when her toxicology report comes back, she has overdosed on the drugs that he's prescribed. On Tuesday, this was Thursday morning, on Tuesday I saw Mariah at a meeting in town, and she could barely walk. And so... I had Hank take her home that morning. We canceled the meeting, and she went home. I called her all day long Tuesday. And then finally, Tuesday night, I called the sheriff's department to do a well check on her. On Wednesday, I called all morning. About 2 o'clock, she finally answered the phone, and I told her that I wanted her to call an ambulance to come get her. She told me that her partner, Teddy, refused to let her do that. They said they couldn't afford it. About 10.30 that night, I spoke with her again. She said, Mom, something is wrong with me. If you saw me, you would think I was beat up. My eyes are black. I'm swollen. And I told her that I would be there first thing in the morning because I'm an hour and a half away to pick her up and bring her back um, here to the hospital. At 10.30 the next morning, which is 30 minutes before he said he checked her pulse, he called me and told me, Donna, your daughter's dead. 
and she's laying here in the middle of the floor. So he called me at 10.30. He says he checked her pulse at 11. He called a neighbor, the next-door neighbor, at quarter to 12. The next-door neighbor came in and and told him that she was dead. He said she was cold. And then he calls the EMS at 11.54. So the police came. The sheriff's department came. He tells them that she told me the night before she was going to kill herself. So they send that information to the medical examiner. She's got toxic amount of his drugs in her system, and the medical examiner rules Mariah's death a suicide. And Hank, her brother, moves into the house with Teddy, the partner, and the two kids that are there. And he stays the whole time knowing he knew the whole time that he had murdered his sister. But he waited until the toxicology report came back on August 28th and... I emailed it to Hank, and I couldn't understand why he was so upset because he never said anything to me about Teddy killing Mariah. He just suspected it. And he had warned him that if, she, if he found out that those were her drugs, that that there was going to be trouble. Well, about the second week in September, I got a phone call, and Hank told me that Teddy had admitted killing Mariah and that they had gotten into a big argument, and the sheriff was called. Um, and th- of course I couldn't manage it I was so overwhelmed about losing my daughter that I couldn't even listen to him I just I, I, I couldn't I couldn't I didn't have anywhere to put it or even think about processing that he might have murdered her but to, so um, that was the middle of September um, October the 13th I found Hank's dead body in the woods after he'd been missing for four days. And I knew then that um, she had been murdered and so had he. Donna, uh, there was apparently between what Hank learned and the other circumstances surrounding Mariah's death, um, that... But apparently there was never any real investigation done. It was just determined by the police and based on the boyfriend's statements that it was a, that it was a suicide. And, and that, was that the extent of the investigation? They never questioned me. When he told – I didn't know that he had told them that she said she – she told me that she was going to commit suicide until the toxicology report came back because it's written in the – um, but they never questioned me. They never questioned her dad. They never questioned Hank or her other brother. Um, no, they just took her to the morgue and, and they also said in the report that there were no drugs in the house. And he had four or five prescription drugs. And when I went to go clean up the house and get everything in order, I found, you know, there was all kinds of prescription drugs. He was hospitalized for a year almost no they did not do an investigation they just took what he said and sent it to the medical examiner 
And, of course, the medical examiner saw that she told me she was going to kill herself, and she had a, um, and then they told that she had a problem with drugs, which she had when he became a paraplegic, she was prescribed Xanax. And, um, but she never did meth like they said in the report. The report was cooked. This guy knew what he was doing. He knew how to work it. But the fact that he didn't even call EMS till four minutes to noon, he said he saw her pulse. She had no pulse at 11. You would think that that would, you know, make them think. And, and then he said he checked her pulse at 8 because she was blue and went back to sleep. And then woke up at eleven. Who does that? Yeah, that yeah. This is you know doesn't make sense uh, certainly. And uh, I just want to make sure before we move on and and talk about Hank that um, I'm I'm correct in this. Even though Mariah had allegedly, according to the boyfriend, uh, told you she was going to kill herself which obviously if you're going to rule a suicide, that would be a, a pertinent piece of information. And even even though it was a, what I think would have been kind of a critical part of the puzzle, uh, the authorities never interviewed you to find out if that was true. No. And listen, let me, let me reiterate so you understand. He didn't tell me she was going to kill herself. He told the police when they got there that she had talked to me the night before and told me she was going to kill herself. Right. And that's okay. that's what they never followed up on. No, they never fought. They never they never questioned me ever. Well, uh, obviously, well, obvious to me anyway that that, that this thing kind of smelled the uh, the investigation or lack of investigation. Um, and we'll we'll address this uh, a little bit more uh, as we go on here. Let's switch now to Hank. Okay, so okay. Mariah uh, is, is is dead, and Hank has a suspicion that the boyfriend was responsible uh, for it, but he doesn't do anything right away if she wants to get the tax reports and so on and so forth. So let's let's start there and uh, and talk about Hank. So Hank moved into the house. He and he and his little brother Dodgen. It was summertime. They moved into the house and stayed all summer. Dodgen went back to school in August, the first of August, and then the tox report came back August twenty eighth. And um, and then in September, Teddy admitted to Hank that he killed Mariah, and Hank called me and told me, and then um. The day that Hank disappeared, um, Hank and I were making plans that morning to take Mariah's kids out for lunch to celebrate her 30th birthday. But he went into the store that's up close to where he was hanging out for a couple weeks and told the girl who was one of Mariah's best friends that morning that he was leaving, that he felt like they were going to try to do something to him. And he had a tree job in Waynesville, and he was leaving, and he was leaving it, um, tomorrow morning first thing. So um, that was on the 9th. Hank, on the 10th, I couldn't get in touch with Hank. On the 11th, I get a phone call from one of Hank's friends that tells me that Hank's, um, 
missing. He left his phone, his dog, which that's just unheard of. The dog went everywhere he went. And so I took off and went straight to where he was, and I called the Transylvania County Sheriff's Department and told them to meet me there, which they did. And when I got there, um, there were several people there, some of whom I did not know. And um, the sheriff came, and I knew something was up because Hank had left. He had this brand-new phone and his dog and his knife. There were his personal belongings that were always in his pocket, his lighter, cigarettes, that were just there. Which that he just that wouldn't happen. So the the two the two deputies that originally got there were doing a great job. They were interviewing everybody, and there was um, uh, a guy there by the name of Seth Queen, who is a habitual felon. And so about seven thirty, the de- this detective shows up that turns out to be the first cousin of Seth Queen. His name is Jeremy Queen. He takes Kelsey Mason, who is one of the uh, perpetrators that we now know, into the car, talks to her for about 15 minutes, and then he calls off the search. They had a big search going. They'd already called the rescue squad, the gorgeous state forest um, rescue squad, and the uh, – um, fire department. There was like four fire trucks, three rescue squads, four ATVs, all gathered up, um, ready to be told where to go when this deputy pulls up, our detective pulls up and tells them all to to stop. We're not looking. He said, it's going to be dark and this will be like looking for a needle in a haystack. So, but they, but they stayed there. They stayed. There was like five deputies stayed at the top of the hill with their arms folded just watching me. So they left about dark, and there was one detect, de- deputy that was very kind to me who stayed, and we rode around till about 2 o'clock in the morning looking for Hank. And the next day, I came back up here on the mountain in about 3 o'clock in the morning. I just stayed and watched everybody. I knew something was very suspicious. And um, I went back the next day. They said they were going to come do a search. They didn't. They never showed up. Um, I ca- That was Friday. I called the, the, the Detective Queen. I told him I felt like Hank was dead and that I would like it if he would find some cadaver dogs. He said he couldn't do it. It was the weekend. Um... Saturday, I went back I, about 2.30. I had been, I came home and was calling a bunch of people to come help me look because I knew Hank was dead at this point because the night before I went into the house to get his belongings and there was a guy there by the name of Chad Wood and he asked me if I knew Kelsey and Hank's relationship and I said, no, I'd never met her. And he said, well, Jason Johnson killed Hank over um Kelsey. So then, at this point, I'm in shock and I'm not really list. Can't really hear anything. But I did take, you know, I, I heard it, but I didn't analyze it. So anyway, the next day, I get there about two thirty, same place where he disappeared from because they said he went walking off into the woods. I walk down to the creek. I see a pair of boxers that were not there the day before, and then I see fresh footprints going off into the woods. And I walk up about fifty yards. 
and I see a shoe, and I turn around and I look, and there's Hank laying there dead. Um, his arm was twisted up behind his back, which fits with the, with the story that he was hogtied and stuffed in the back of a trunk. Um, I called the sheriff's department. I sat with him till they got there. It was about 30 minutes. The first thing that happened was the deputy that came to tell me that I had to leave, and I was refusing to leave. He stepped on the fresh footprints. It's almost if they were, it was intentional. And I said to him, why are you stepping on, do not step on those footprints, because those footprints were not there the day before. I'd covered this ground the day before. Um, he said, oh, they, that don't matter. They know what our footprints look down there, like down there. Well, finally, he threatened to arrest me if I didn't get up and leave. They they put crime scene tape all around the property. Um, I told them that I they were not to touch his body till the FBI got there. Jeremy Queen told me I couldn't call the FBI. One of the deputies pulled me aside and said, yes, you can. So I demanded they call the SBI. They called the SBI. It took three or four hours for them to get there. Um, the SBI did an investigation of what they called the crime scene. They listed it as a homicide because we now, after I filed a wrongful death suit and got a court order, have their file and the sheriff's file, um, the sheriff's department refused to take phone calls of people that called to give information. They had Hank stuff in the back of a trunk, driving him around for days. We've now found out we begged them to search that trunk. They wouldn't search the trunk. Um, when the trunk got open, the neighbors called for them to come search the trunk. They said they couldn't go on private property, but now I know they had a search warrant because it was in the police file that told them to search the car. Um, and they burned that car. They burned that car twice. I called the law when they were burning it the first time. They wouldn't go over there. They burned it the second time. And then they chopped it up and put it in the back of a truck and drove it to the scrapyard. But it goes on and on and on. There's so much evidence and so many horrible ways the sheriff's department handled the case. When the when people called to give information, they told them they weren't taking any information until the toxicology report came back, and that actually took four and a half months. <laughs> so they didn't do an investigation. It was a terrible, brutal gang murder. And, you know, of course, now we got all the information, and it's six years in October that Hank died. We've taken it to the sheriff's department. In January, after Crime Watch Daily did a thorough investigation and aired in September, in January, a woman went to the sheriff's department, she came forward with a confession from Kelsey Mason telling about how they shot him up with roof and all twice. And then they put him in the shower and changed his clothes. And then they, and then they couldn't get him back alive. So then they injected him with meth to make it look like an overdose. She went to the sheriff's department in January and I handed her my phone. She recorded the whole conversation with the detective. And then we had it transcribed. 
that was January of this year, and still they do nothing. But that's one part of the story. Uh, Donna, is the FBI now out of the investigation, or do they have any any active role in it at this point? The FBI was given evidence. They asked us to bring evidence. Now, the FBI is the one that did the investigation, but the FBI was given the evidence at Christmas of last year. And to be honest with you, he's not done one thing he said he's going to do, and I've kind of just let him go because I'm looking at other avenues of getting justice at this point. And the FBI does not know about this new, this, this new witness that went to the sheriff's department. Okay, uh, before we move on, I, I want to get into, you know, what you've done in the wrongful death uh, suit and so forth. But before we do that, um, Delilah, is, do you, uh, what, what's your impression of this? It just doesn't seem possible, but that's just the way it strikes me. What do you think about the investigation of both cases, Mariah and Hank? It's very, very confusing. And I'd like to back up just one second for uh, my own clarification and, and also for the listeners. Can you, where is this all taking place? I mean, what jurisdiction are we talking about? I don't even know what part we're of the, the country. Of, we're in the mountains of North Carolina. Okay. All right. I'm very and, familiar and, with that area. Okay. So Brevard is. Transylvania County, Hank's mm-hmm. body, he was initially hit in the head in Transylvania County, hogtied and put in a trunk of a car and driven to Jackson County, where I was living. And okay, so, so there's two counties involved in Hank's situation, but Mariah was murdered in Brevard, in Brevard Transylvania in County. In Brevard. Okay. All right. And give us some indication. What was her... A mindset like before this all happened to her what what kind of frame of mind was she in was she depressed was she happy she, were things she going was very good depressed. she was very depressed in february i had hank she we she in february she was hospitalized for depression i i took her kids and said i'm going to take care of the kids and you're going to go into the hospital and she agreed and she signed you know the an affidavit to give me parental rights until she got out. Well, that didn't work out. She actually, she was hospitalized three different times before she finally got to stay in a little while. And then um, she failed her first nursing board test, which just kicked her over the edge. So Bright was depressed. Teddy couldn't, she had been to, um, child support enforcement to see, you know, what they could do to help her because he couldn't work anymore and she was in nursing school and they told her there was nothing they could do and she had three kids and one of the children never went back to stay with Teddy. He stayed with my, his grandfather and my ex-husband. So yes, Mariah was depressed. Life wasn't going good for her at that point. But we were working it out, you know. I, I was going to get her the next morning because she said, I've got her text messages from the night before where she's texting a friend saying, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I think he'd been drugging her for days because I saw her Tuesday, and she just was totally out of her mind. She could barely walk. Uh-huh. 
What do you? What type of drugs do you think he was drugging her with? Was it prescription it was medication? It was his prescriptions. It was morphine and Xanax. That's what they found in her body. Okay. Her, okay. That her top report reads mixed drug method. I'm sorry, not it's methadone, methadone mm-hmm. and al alprazolam, which is Xanax, right? Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And then it says okay. acute early hypnoxic brain injury, early aspiration, pneumonia with polarized crystals, and urinary retention. Okay. So you don't feel like she would have taken these drugs on her own accord, that he secretly drugged her? No. And he, you know, the whole time, according to Hank, he he swore that she did not take his drugs. That's what Hank was so furious about. Actually, Hank saw this. I'm sorry. Tuesday morning when Hank went to get her for the meeting that we all had, he saw, he said her feet were blue and he kept trying to wake her up. She wouldn't wake up. And he walked back into the room and Teddy was standing beside the bed giving her one of his pills. So that's Uh where Hank was suspicious. So Hank left town that day. He went back to Anderson. He wasn't mm-hmm. there. Okay, so so there was a witness to him, her partner giving her his drugs. She wasn't taking them, you know, like like someone who takes drugs. No, and she was out of her mind. She was just, I mean, she was a smart, beautiful, on-the-ball girl, and she was just, I mean, when I saw her, I couldn't believe it. There were two witnesses that saw her give. Hank had his girlfriend with him. She saw it also. Mm-hmm. And has she been questioned? No, they haven't questioned anybody. Okay, so they basically ruled this a suicide and closed the case. Is that correct? That was it. That's right. That was it. Okay. And you are trying to have this case ruled differently? Are you trying to have it ruled as a homicide? Mariah's case, like I said earlier, I have been so enthralled in, 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 see, with the wrongful death suit, after we got the files, I took over the, I took over as pro se because my lawyer in the file from the sheriff's department was a CD that I don't think they meant to give us of a conversation between a sheriff's deputy calling a detective in Transylvania five days after I found Hank's body, telling them that his daughter witnessed Hank be murdered. So my lawyer got a little upset because we signed an affidavit saying that we wouldn't disclose any of this information. And I was, I wasn't willing to not bring this to, you know, I wasn't willing to be quiet about it. That they had a phone call five days after we find Hank's dead body in 2012 that we receive in 2016 that shows that, and then they never, ever, ever, because we have the file, they never questioned the, ch- the daughter of the man who called to say his daughter witnessed Hank be murdered, or the person that she said helped murder him. Okay, if I get, just keep me in line here because I'm getting. That's okay. I, I'm trying to just 
clarify everything in my own mind because this is very, very confusing, especially, you know, we don't have case files and all of that like you do. So, and that's, that's okay. It's okay because we just want to sort of sort through the spider web here. So, okay. So, so Mariah's case is Mariah. I've never even had time to discuss what I've, what I have come up with about Mariah with the sheriff. The sheriff's department is very hostile to me. They uh-huh. never would return my phone calls. Um, even in January, when I took this girl there, I thought that they would let me come in, but they were ugly and said, "You're not coming in." Um, when she came out, he held the door open and stared at me with contempt. So this is why I wanted to talk about Mariah today is because there hasn't been time to really, I know what happened to Mariah, but mm-hmm. we're still trying to put the pieces together with Hank and still trying to get them to do an investigation because once they do the investigation to Hank, they're going to have to look into Mariah because that's what caused the whole situation. Correct. Yeah, I get that. Now, Hank's case, what is it ruled a suicide as it's- well? No, it was an accidental death. He was accidental found with death. a hoodie. On. He had when they found him, he had a hoodie on upside down, backwards, and zipped up. And um, in he was about four or five inches of mud and water. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wasn't there the day before. He disappeared two days before that. And they ruled it an accidental death. They then and only, the body was only. 50 yards from the house where they refused to search two days, three days before. And there is no getting them to do anything about it. Now, since they've ruled it accidental death, is this case also considered closed? Yes, they closed it as soon as his toxicology report came back and they found meth in his system. The case was closed. The SBI had a meeting with the lead detective the SBI agent asked him, is there anything else that we need to know? He said, absolutely not. We don't need you anymore. This was nothing, anything more than a missing person's case. The case is closed. The SBI changed it from homicide to accidental death. I have all the paperwork on that. Right. Okay. All right. So they said he had meth in his system. Was he a regular meth user that he you know about? I don't know what a regular, since Mariah died, he got, when he and Teddy got into a fight in the middle of September because Teddy admitted that he killed Mariah, the cops came and made Hank leave. Hank had been there since she died. So he moved in with these people that weren't the kind of people he would normally be around, and he was using drugs. I don't know how, he wouldn't have told me, I don't know. You know, none of these people are coming forward and talking to me about, voluntarily about what happened well i'm just kind of throwing things out there again just like our listeners i don't know a lot about the case but um is there a possibility that this was kind of a drug deal gone bad um i don't think it was a drug deal i think it was planned murder i think teddy paid them to kill hank because hank i think hank teddy thought hank was going to kill him i mean that's just my mind Mm-hmm. Teddy's not said that, but I know that that I knew I know that he knew that Teddy killed his sister, and he and Mariah were closer than any two siblings I've ever met in my life. They were just since they were babies. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know this is very difficult for you to, you know, lose both of your children so close together and not having any real resolution. Um, but on the other hand, just playing devil's advocate here, um, is, have you have you created a like a timeline of information and of what your theories are? Have you created something like that to hand over? Yes, my uncle and, is a retired judge, and for the first mm-hmm. two years after Hank died, he wrote letters to the attorney general and to the governor and to the FBI and to the FBI, and just. Four months ago, he took the SBI file and the sheriff's department's file, and he spent weeks going through it and pulling all the evidence out, which is substantial that was never followed up on, and put it all in chronological order along with printing the pictures the SBI took of Hank's body. And um, it's all in chronological order in a notebook that was going to – the that he his intention was to send it to the lead SBI um, investigator in North Carolina. It hasn't happened yet. I actually am using it for something else right now. But anyway, yes, it's all in chronological order. All the evidence has been picked out of those two files. We have been doing okay. it. We've hired private. We've hired private investigators. Crime Watch Daily did a thorough show, so all that, that we have it all. It's all okay. So, so the two counties are are they good about sharing information with each other, or are they are they, they do they play that territorial thing? I I know that the, the, I mentioned that the lead detective was first cousin of one of the guys involved in Hank's murder. But he has two first cousins on the Transylvania County Sheriff's Department. And they're also, they're queens. And there's also queens on the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. And no, I don't know what they do because they don't communicate with me. The last communication I had with Jackson County was with Detective Crisp, who told me that there was nothing he could do because his his superior told him not to, which he meant the sheriff. They really just want it to go away. Right. To be, they want me to go away. They want it to, this happens. This is not unusual here. I've met 14 different families from these two counties that have experienced the same thing. A suspicious death that's ruled a suicide or an accidental death. And since Hank died, there's been two boys, young men, who have died here in Jackson County by being shot up with drugs. Not um, not voluntarily taking the drugs. You're saying someone else is doing this to them? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, before we run out of time, I just want to let you sort of lay out what exactly is it that you in a perfect world if you could wave your magic wand what would you like to see happen and how do you think that 
is is um, available to happen. I'd like to see for the people that are responsible to go to jail, to go to prison like they're supposed to. And I'd like for there to be new sheriffs in both counties so this never, ever, ever happens to any other family ever again. That's uh, my two big goals. Don, I, I want to, uh, just before we do run out of time, I see we got a, a couple of callers. Uh, are you open to taking a question or comment? Sure. I think, Denny, I think these were people Donna invited to listen in. Oh, okay, good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what uh, What I was wondering in the few minutes we have left, Donna, can you tell us what you have done now on your own? I know you did a wrongful death uh, filing, and can you tell us where your own personal efforts stand at this point? Um, I'm still involved with the wrongful death suit. We just did depositions about a month ago, and then we had depositions about six months before that. Um, And I am talking to, I I think that, I don't even know if I should say this, but I'm looking at filing a lawsuit against the sheriff's department in both counties because I don't know what else to do. Can you appeal, is there another state agency, uh, such as the Attorney General's Office or State Attorney or whatever, that you can appeal to 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 try to get a fresh set of eyes or another agency to examine and review what has happened in in both Mariah and Hank's cases? Or or, or, no? Yes. When they first died, my uncle, the retired judge, wrote the Attorney General in North Carolina, and since then, we have a new attorney general, and the old one's the governor. And then when the new attorney general, and he got a letter that said, we have referred this to the SBI from the attorney general. And then after the new attorney general came in, we wrote a letter, I wrote a letter, and we got a form letter back that said, you know, we don't have anything to do with this. Um, you'll have to talk to your district attorney. So, you know, we've written the governor, the attorney general, the senators. Uh, we never get we never get anybody that really shows any interest. I think, uh, that, I think there's a stigma against drugs in that if it's a drug overdose, uh, nobody really wants to deal with it, even though that's how people are murdering people now is by injecting them with drugs. So... Perhaps uh, you know, and I don't want you to to say anything that uh, that would jeopardize your efforts. Obviously, we don't want to go there. But um, perhaps, and with with the wrongful death action you have currently underway, uh, and, and then you know, maybe there is some way in the legal system if if another state agency won't help you, or at least review what's happened and determine. Uh, you know, whether everything was done the way it should have been done, that maybe the legal action is, is the only alternative. Is, is that kind of way you, the way you see it? That's exactly the way I see it. It's almost as if they're pushing for that. It's, you know, I just, you, 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 you keep, t- I gave the district attorney a petition that we had 
over a thousand signatures on and new evidence just four months ago. We've given him evidence three times. He never even calls. So it's it's you you keep and I sent a packet of evidence to the sheriff's department in February after they talked to this woman that told them what Kelsey said they did. Told Kelsey told them what she did to Hank. They never do anything. They just ignore it and keep telling people I'm crazy. <laughs> just you know, poor Donna. She just can't get over it. She's crazy. Well, you apparently, know. to uh, obviously, if they can discredit you, then it uh, it helps them to justify. Uh, apparently, it helps them to justify what what they did or didn't do. Uh, you know, to to uh, to cast some doubt about, uh, as, as to your uh, uh, efforts in this, and that uh, you're kind of running amok. Um, it, it's really, you know, is uh, listening to you tell the, the story, both stories actually. Uh, I get very annoyed because it it, it just it, it, you wouldn't think this kind of stuff can happen. Uh, it, it just really boggles my mind. And uh, Dee, what do you what do you think? And, and let me let me say this: um, if the state attorney or attorney general of the state would do a comprehensive review and issue a report. And if they say, oh, no, everything was done exactly the way it should have been, blah, 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 well, you know, that would be one thing. But but to ignore uh, Donna's request and to actually just do nothing, uh, right. I don't know, that, that doesn't sit well with me. What, what do you think? Well, I was going to ask Donna when when Crime Watch Daily came out, were they able to interview any of the law enforcement or the detectives that yeah. had been involved? Yeah. So they do they have did. some sort of statements from them. Yes, they, they sure did. They interviewed Jeremy Queen, mm-hmm. the the one that called off the search, who is the first cousin of the one of the guys that helped murder Hank. Mm-hmm. They sure did, okay. and they did a great job. Funny uh, enough, when I, when I took this young woman in January to speak to the to the sergeant, he had not seen it. He had not even he had not even watched it, and it was all about them and how they didn't do the right kind of job investigating the murders. So Crime Watch Daily, basically, their conclusions are very similar to yours, that the the law enforcement agencies that are active in this case have kind of let the ball down. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, yes. Of course, I don't know okay. that they came up with any. They just, they just showed the facts and interviewed. I don't think they... they I think the show lets people make up their own mind. It's the whole purpose of the show. They give right, facts. Right, that's and... true. Yeah, they didn't have a synopsis, but they did an excellent job. We were very fortunate. I, I, I think 
you know, I just got to believe that somewhere along the line, somebody's got to be willing to do anything. But, of course, like you said, if it takes you doing your own thing to uh, to get a result. But, again, I just have problem accepting that this is, you know, the way things are supposed to work. It, it, uh, it, it, it really bothers me. Uh, and I... I don't. I, you seem to be doing everything humanly possible, you know, to try to every, get the the thing reopened in the cases. Every day for six years, I've been working on this. Uh, everything it, I can possibly do. It's it's uh, also I, I certainly have to give you credit for which I do with with uh, virtually all of our guests that we have on is is the the perseverance because many people would give up you know they just get beaten down by the system and then they they run out of steam and they just can't deal with it anymore and i can understand how that can happen um but you know to hang in and people you know we are not supposed to outlive our children i mean that's just it's not supposed to happen that way although it's obviously it does but and uh, then when you get a case of where you lose two children in I've such a short time frame and and then believe that both of them were murdered and you know the investigations either didn't happen or perhaps weren't up to speed what what should have been done uh that's got to be a tremendous uh, emotional strain uh, i just can't i can't imagine it well you know i lost three I lost my 20-year-old son last September 29th, which was also my oldest daughter's birthday, and he'll be 21 tomorrow. And I would never have lost him. He got so depressed after they died, and his he you know his life just he was 14 when they died. What they've done to my family is just unspeakable, and I hope it never happens to anyone ever again. Um, and, you know, you say that this is unheard of, but it's not unheard of here. This is how the law works here. If the district attorney doesn't want to mess with it and the law doesn't like you or you're not related to the law or don't go to church with the law here, they're not here to provide you with protection. It's just the way it is, and that's the reality. And, you know, the South's known for that, but this place is – I'm not from this area. I'm actually not from far from here, but Transylvania County is the most corrupt place I've ever. And, you know, I have uncovered so much information that I didn't want to uncover that's really none of my business that will boggle your mind how it works. So. Unfortunately, Ed, we're going to have to wrap it up here. We're out of time. But I, I want to thank you for sharing this, really the heartbreaking stories with us. And I know you have a lot of things going on. Uh, I'd appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners would as well, if when, uh, you know, when there are additional developments, if you'd let us know, we'll have you back on to do an update. Uh, Would that be okay? Thank you very much, both of you. Well, you're welcome. And our next broadcast will be on Friday, July 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern, when we'll talk about dealing with the media with award-winning investigative reporter Glenn Meek. Please join us then. July, you 